0: You would. All right, Second Timothy chapter number three. 2 Timothy chapter number three. Verse number fourteen down to verse number seven, well, verse number thirteen down to verse number seventeen tonight. Throughout the week, we'll talk more about our ministry, if that's okay, Pastor, and some of the resources that we have on our table. We do travel in full-time evangelism ten plus months out of the year. We've been traveling for 14 years now. Um, we have uh, three ministries, Remnant Ministries, Silent Witness Literature, and the Gospel Film Project. Uh, the Gospel Film that was released back in 2020 uh, has now reached over 135 million souls with the gospel in 82 countries. Uh, close to 12, uh, over 12,000 people that have trusted Christ that we know of that have reached out to us and contacted us just this week. I didn't tell you this, sweetheart, and family. There was an individual that reached out to us, a family, in England and was burdened about finding a church. They were in church today. Amen. Praise God. And so all sorts of things happening. There was a 76-year-old lady. We've got the voicemail here on the phone. She said, I began to believe in Jesus when I was nine, uh, but I didn't know the full knowledge of this. But now I know, and now I understand. She's got that heavy accent, you know, uh, from the deep south. And she says, Now I know I'm 76, but I put my full faith in Christ and I say yes to Jesus. And that was wonderful. Praise the Lord. We had an alcoholic call us last week, last Sunday, actually, Sunday afternoon, begging for help. I was You know, when sometimes you experience something and you get goosebumps, not trying to be weird, um, but there's just something where the Spirit of God just grabs a hold of you, and I immediately reached out to him. It was within 30 minutes and texted him and was able to connect with him and get him on the phone with a pastor right in his area there in Florida. This man has been an alcoholic for 35 years, married for 35 years, a very successful businessman in his region there, and the pastor knew who he was and such, but this man was on the brink of of committing suicide when he had called uh, and listened to the gospel film via audio. There's a number that you call uh, and listen to it. And he said, I need help. And it's just a very heartbreaking voicemail. I have it here on my phone saved. Very powerful, very convicting and overwhelming. Anyway, he was about to commit suicide. The pastor was able to take him off that edge. Amen. And has been able to work with him and reach him for Christ and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is in the soul-searching and soul-saving business. And we'll talk more about these things this week. Second Timothy chapter number three. I love this passage of scripture. I couldn't help but notice there on your bulletin that word continue, that word continue. The Bible says in verse number 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, that's real positive preaching. <laughs> in spite of that, God transitions in verse number 14 and he says, but... Or in spite of all this, those things are irrelevant. Because we know the world and the lost are going to do what the world does and what the lost do. However, you as an individual, as a child of God, I am looking at you, and I am imploring you, and I am encouraging you, but continue thou. Don't quit, don't throw in the towel, Uh, keep on keeping on. It's not time for us to give in or to give out, but it's time that as God's people, we give it all we've got. As we mentioned this morning, only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And God has a purpose for our existence, and God is desiring for his people to stay after it until their final breath. But continue thou, but notice specifically, and this is where the message is going to be coming tonight, continue in the things which I has learned and has been assured of. This is teaching us to not compromise. Now, what is compromise? Compromise is when I change my mind about something God does not change his mind about. What God says is truth. We don't read the Bible to find truth. We read the Bible because it is truth. Every single day, we seek to uh, study it. We saturate ourselves in it. We soak it up. Why? So we can go out and apply and live it. That Joshua 1a concept there. We meditate and observe to do according to all that is written therein. This is not a book of uh, w- wise suggestions and pointers that we should consider for our lives, but rather, it's precepts, their principles that we ought to grab a hold of and say, we are not going to shirk these things. We are not going to forsake these things, but but... but Lord, help me to have a heart that will fervently pursue it, O God, a life that will faithfully live it to my dying breath. But continue thou. God doesn't change. Neither should we. Truth will always be truth. Right will always be right. Wrong will always be wrong. Right will never be wrong, and wrong will never be right. In spite of how the world may perceive it, how they may seek to redefine it, in spite of how they may try to downplay it and blaspheme it, God's word, thank the Lord, we've got it, it stood the test of time, it is truth, and God is saying, I know the world is getting wicked, I know your culture and community is wayward. I mean, just study the text, and you can see all the various individuals and predominance in a culture uh, that is entering its last days, that final season, before judgment comes. Uh, God is saying, but in spite of that, I'm looking at you individually, and I'm calling upon you, and I'm commanding you stay faithful God always blesses faithfulness if God if I may mention it again had found ten righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah we would be reading a very different outcome of the story that we find in the book of Genesis if God did find but one man making up the hedge and standing in the gap before the lord for the land's sake Ezekiel 2230 is what we're referencing here there would be a very literal different uh, outpouring that would have taken there would not have been judgment there would have been mercy and grace and there would have been longevity and god would be able to do a work but it only would have been possible if there was somebody that was faithful and continuing I think of the days of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 5, I believe it is in verse number 1, it talks about how that God says, please run to and fro in the streets and and see if you can find anybody that executeth judgment, that, that seeks after the truth, that I would not destroy it. I'm looking for just but one person. God has never needed a majority to make a difference. God can literally spare Sacramento from judgment with just the people in this room. But there's only 24 of us tonight. But this and that, so what? What are you doing as an individual? May the Lord encourage us to stay faithful. And then, as we stay faithful, our testimony, not that we're doing it for others or for ourselves, we're doing it for His glory, as we heard our brother pray tonight. It's all for Him, all for Jesus, for His glory. But as we're staying faithful, that God would use our testimony to encourage others also to go out and do likewise. But continue thou. Continue steadfast in the word of God. First Verse 16, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God, the Christian, may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. Everything you need can be found right here in this Bible. That's why we need to read it. That's why the devil's gonna fight you from reading it. This is why we need to meditate upon it, and that's why the devil's going to try to get you and me to not think about and ponder what the Word of God would have us to do. The devil doesn't want you to hear the preaching of it. That's why he's going to try to keep you from church. The devil doesn't want you to have your life saturated with the Word of God. He's going to do anything he can to substitute the Word of God out of your life. Because the devil wants you and me to be hindered and held back from accomplishing every good work. And all that God would have us to do for his glory and the furtherance of the gospel. Notice now in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 verse number 2. The Bible says this word that you have. This word that you should be continuing in. I want you to preach it. I don't want you to sit on this book. I don't want you to hide it under a bushel. But I want you to testify of this message because not only do you need the truth and you need the word, those around you need the truth and those around you need the word. God is saying, don't be silent. Don't be still. Stand. Speak up. Speak out. And church, if we don't, who will? God is depending literally upon you individually. I don't know about you, but I don't want to let God down. I want to be a life that's yielded, and whatever the will of God is, the work of God is for my life, that I would be in that way so the Lord can lead me and use me. There's nothing worse than looking for a tool that you can't find. I, I, I left it right there. I, I thought it, it must have gone legs and walked off. How many of you have said that throughout the years? have been there, done that many times. It's supposed to be that I just don't understand. I don't know. And God, I believe, looking down, you are essential in God's work. And God's work, ultimately, for our lives is to be engaged in preaching the word. This is what America needs. This is what our culture and generation needs. It needs the word of God. I love studying American history. I love looking at our founding and seeing how that the Bible that we hold in our hands tonight is the very book and the very premise that made our nation great and what this country was built upon in our culture. I've got several things tonight that I would love for us to go through as quickly as possible. All God's people, okay, would you say amen? amen. And tonight, as we think about our biblical foundation just laying some groundwork there, There in Second Timothy chapter number 3 and chapter number 4, we see God's view of this. May this be our view as well. Our biblical foundation, uh, there was a pamphlet that was printed and spread like wildfire uh, during the, prior to the War for Independence. It was called Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine. And this book stirred the fires of patriotism in those uh, early colonists. And in Common Sense, we find this quote that I love so much. But where, say some, is the king of America? I tell you, friend, he reigns above. You want to you find our king, look up. Into the sky. We don't have an earthly king, but rather, if you were to ask where our king was, he is in heaven. His name is Jesus. He reigns above and doth not make havoc of mankind like the royal brute of Great Britain. Let a day be solemnly set apart for proclaiming the charter. We need a written form of government. Anarchy cannot rule. This cannot be a mob-run society. We must have things done decently and in order. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Let's have a day set apart in which we proclaim a charter, a written form of government, and when we have this charter, let it, this was a suggestion being made in common sense, let it be brought forth, placed on the divine law, the word of God. Let's make sure that our leadership and our legislation is being based upon Scripture. I like the sound of that, don't you? Samuel Adams in 1772 wrote a pamphlet that also was greatly encouraging and very well received entitled, The Rights of the Colonists. And in the midst of this document, you'll find this statement, the right to freedom being the gift of God Almighty, or just in case you weren't aware of that, I'll throw that in for you. The, the right to freedom being the gift of God Almighty, uh, the rights of the colonists may best be understood by reading and carefully studying the institutions or the principles, of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated or promoted in the New Testament. You want to know why we believe in these things? Well, let's just go ahead and conduct an old-fashioned Bible study. Let's come to Sunday school, and let's come to Wednesday night church, and let's sit underneath the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. You read through the Word of God, and you'll see why we are standing for what we're standing, why we believe what we believe. You know, as I stop and think about Christianity today and what we should be pursuing, dovetailing with what we've read in 2 Timothy 3 and chapter number 4, as God's people and as Christians, we are not crazy. We are simply carrying on the same timeless truth that our founding fathers read and believed and stood upon. Though this old world may scoff, and be cynical and blaspheme truth in the word of God. God is looking for people who will not quit, not be careless with it, not be complacent about it, but people who will continue. Whether it's popular or not, we're going forward for God, and we're not going to be silent or still. We're not going to sit on it, but rather we will stand and speak and share. We'll preach the word that America needs desperately. I love this here, of course, just a graphic of the Declaration of Independence, and I've got a facsimile here next to my son David. As I presume that you're all aware of, in the beginning of this document, the first sentence that I would like to read said this, and this is powerful. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people, this is our birth certificate, this is the spirit that America was born from, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. What gives us the right to not participate in a globalistic society or mindset or government? globalism is not of Christ it is of antichrist nationalism is a biblical principle What gives us the right? Well, it's the law of nature. It's just the way things have always been, just like the law of gravity. I take this, and you know what? I'm not going to disrespect the Constitution, or or excuse me, the Declaration. I'll take this tissue, and just as that is always going to fall to the ground, and as much as I wish and I may want for it to levitate up into the ceiling, here it goes, it's going to the ceiling, yes! No, it's not going to happen, because why? There's a law of nature, just the way it is. So is what's transpiring with our declaring independence and separating ourselves from the mother country and becoming an independent country, a separate and equal nation. It's the laws of nature. But also, what's wonderful, and most people miss, I presume that you've seen it before, but if I could bring it to your attention, this document says, to which the laws of nature's God entitle them. What is the laws, and what are the laws of nature's God? Somebody put your thinking cap on. What is that besides the pastor and my children? All right. What are the laws of nature's God? Probably be here for a while until somebody answers. All right. I could play the Jeopardy music. Laws of nature's God. Ten Commandments. Make it even more general the Bible. The laws of nature, why? Because it's not just the Ten Commandments. We'll see a quote about the Ten Commandments in a moment. Thank you. And that is key, and that is essential, and praise God. But it's the entirety of this, because this whole book is not suggestion. It's scripture. It's commandment. It's principles. It's precepts. It's, it's giving me governance of how to conduct and live my life. What gives us the right? The Word of God does. I love what John Adams said, he was our, uh, John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, he said this, in the chain of human events, the birthday of our nation, July 4th, 1776, is indissolubly linked, or it's inseparable with the birthday of who? For those of you who can read the screen, with who? The Savior, Jesus Christ. If there was no Jesus Christ, there would be no America, that's the persuasion they had. That's the conviction they had. I like the sound of that. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen? I believe in the birthday of our Savior. We celebrate it every year at Christmas time, that season, December 25th. But if there was no Jesus, there would be no American. by the way, he knew what he was talking about because he was my son's age, David, when the war for independence broke out, and he as a little boy saw everything that was transpiring as an eyewitness to the entire event. He said the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. flowery language for saying the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of our government upon, it was built upon, the Bible. This is what they believed. Our founding fathers were men of faith. I'm not saying they were all independent Baptists. They weren't. we got to be careful when we read about their lives to not put them through the filter of being an independent fundamental Baptist, okay? But they were men of faith. They believed in God. Not some vague coexist deity, but they believed in the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe. They believed in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of them acknowledged that, and it's a beautiful thing to consider how many of them were truly born again. They believed in the authority of scriptures. They believed in the great need to be surrendered and submitted under the authority of God's word. Someone once did the study and came up with the fact that 97% of them or so were practicing Christians. They didn't just talk some talk, but they walked their talk. Over 40% of the signers of the Declaration of Independence had Bible college degrees. Many of them were involved with Bible societies in the latter part of their lives, distributing God's word and gospel tracts around the world They quoted the Bible three times more than any other source in their writings and in their memoirs and in their diaries and in their letters and also their speeches. The Bible was integrated into the very fabric of our culture as a nation. I love what Elias Boudinot said. This man served in Congress. He was one of the American delegates who signed the peace treaty at the end of the War for Independence. He was a framer of the Bill of Rights, the director of the U.S. Men. He's, He's got quite the resume. He said this. Were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world, I should fix on the Bible. It is the most instructive both to the wise and ignorant. I like that, don't you? Patrick Henry, the Bible is a book. He's the one who said, give me liberty or give me death. The Bible is a book worth more than all the other books that were ever printed. And the rest of the quote Uh, has been removed, and I apologize that there's a couple of random words there. It to others, all right? John Jay, he was our first Supreme Court Chief Justice. He declared this, The Bible is the best of all books. Why? For it is the Word of God, and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore. You know, he had 2 Timothy 3.14, just like we have today continue therefore to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts can you see that ladies I feel so bad are you sure okay very good All right. this man here Roger Sherman he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence signer of the Constitution he's considered by secular historians as the master builder of the Constitution he helped frame the Bill of Rights served as a United States Senator this was a who's who of founding fathers I found this statement in a newspaper from August 15th, 1837. you are not find this in a history book somewhere, but in a newspaper. It said this of him. The volume which he consulted more than any other was the Bible. It was his custom at the commencement of every session of Congress to purchase a copy of the Scriptures, to peruse it daily, and to present it to one of his children on his return or when he went back home. These men lived their faith and they believed in the Bible. It was not just something they rendered via lip service, but it was a life testimony. Again, John Quincy Adams, he made this statement on July 4th, 1821, our sixth president. He said, you know, as I think back to the war for independence, there was no anarchy or mob rule. We hear a lot of anarchy today, don't we, especially the past handful of years all this looting and pillaging and justice and all this kind of stuff and all the nonsense that's transpiring across our nation. He said, listen, when we fought and we rebelled, we revolted against Great Britain, it was not born out of a spirit of anarchy. The people of the North American Union and of its constituent states were associated bodies of civilized men and Christians in a state of nature, but not of anarchy. They were bound by the laws of God. What constrained them? What kept them on the straight and narrow of what needed to be done and how they did it? The Word of God is what regulated their conduct and their character. We're in a mess today because our culture is not being bound by the laws of God. We need to preach this book. We need to live this book And not just have our heads buried in the sand and just try to keep everything, don't rock the boat, keep the status quo. You know, I'm just going to keep my head down, you know, live my life and work my job and make my money and do this, do that and go to church three times a week and so on. With no impact, no involvement, no reaching of a lost and dying world. Listen, God has appointed and anointed the church to be as we find in Philippians chapter number two, verse number 15 and 16, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. What noble and invigorating wording of the Bible in Philippians 2. The church to not be on the sidelines, but on the front lines. A church that is not half hearted, but whole hearted. And it's one thing to talk about it, and it's another thing to live it. How many are proactively witnessing every single week? How many are passing our gospel tracts? How many of us are looking for divine appointments? Say, well, I'm just not able to physically do what I used to be able to do. Don't use that as an excuse. Understand that, yes, God has different seasons of life, and there are times in which maybe we can't knock on doors for 20 hours straight. I'm being overdramatic by making a statement like that, but as our pastor mentioned tonight, we can join a host of intercessors praying for mercy and God's grace to be poured out upon our country. Amen? And we can say, maybe, just maybe, I can't go to them, but Lord, you're powerful enough and you're big enough to bring them to me. And I may be constrained to some, you know, little electrical cart, you know, I kind of am envious of people that drive one of those. I want to do that too, you know. Wish they have a little beeper on there. And, and maybe, maybe I can't go out and speak to them, but while I'm uh, in the grocery store, as I'm running my errands or engaging in various things, God, would you bring them to me and give me divine appointments? What do you think, God's gonna say No. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, shall be open unto you. Everyone that asketh, the Bible says, receiveth. Seeketh, shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. And God is more proactive about preaching the word and sharing truth about the lost and dying world that's defiled and that is going astray more than even we are in our most frenzied, frenzied, zealous state. God is all in about this business, amen? And thank him that we get to be a part of it. God, please use us to make a difference. Okay, we're in a mess. Civilized men and Christians. Why are we saying all these things? Well, it's just illustration after illustration to show us that what America had back then and needed back then is what we need today. We're not crazy. The liberal is crazy. The God-hater and the atheist, the politician that is an apostate, is crazy. And even though a vast majority of culture may look at the church and laugh, so be it. But continue thou. I'm so thankful for this quote. He says, "...they were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all, acknowledged as the rules of conduct." So what he's saying is that all of them respected God's word and in a moment we're going to be looking at some old books that show us why and how they were bound by the laws of God. It's interesting, he said, and by the laws of the gospel which they nearly all, you know, not everybody was saved but at least everybody had a respect for the word of God. Say, well, America is too far gone for that, is it? No, because God is still God. And as soon as we throw our hands up in the air and disillusionment, and discouragement, we've already let the enemy win. May the Lord help us to stay faithful. By the way, this is not blind optimism. This is not some spiritual naivety tonight. This is just grabbing a hold of the principles and the power of God and desiring to experience his person be unleashed in our generation. Let's not quit. James Madison, and this is, uh, I I think our brother in the back mentioned Ten Commandments. Amen. Thank you so much. That's crucial and key. James Madison said this, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. (laughs) Far from it. America's future is not dependent on what the government does. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves. Well, that sounds familiar. We the people. Those of the governed are giving that consent of who will represent us to effectively uh, carry out what should be done and the decisions and choices being made on Capitol Hill, and it's not some career they're trying to make for themselves. The future of our country is based upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves, but notice how we govern ourselves and sustain ourselves, according to the Ten Commandments of God. The first half or so is about our relationship with God. The second half of the Ten Commandments is our relationship with each other. What's the first commandment? Somebody nice and loud? No wonder we had such, and we have such a motto as in God we trust. We're not trusting in anything else but in God. The words, under God, out of the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, under God. Not equal to God. Working with God, co-laboring with God, but under, completely under. That's a sign and a demonstration of submission under God. Beneath the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, this is something that they understood and they desired, and we could go through all the Ten Commandments. If people just lived by the Ten Commandments, we would have law-abiding, moral citizens the theft and the nonsense of what's happening up in portland oregon with walmart all the stuff and people just walking out with things pastor mentioned me today someone is allowed to walk up uh walk out with about 950 dollars worth of stuff um, and if uh, they go underneath that the only thing the police can do is give you a ticket That means I can go steal 900 bucks worth of groceries and supplies out of Walmart and maybe get a slap on the wrist of a $200 fine. What on earth? That is not how we're supposed to govern ourselves as a nation. By the way, a lot of the foreign world doesn't operate that way. You travel overseas, and sure, there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of sin. I I don't want to live anywhere else but in America. Amen, I'm thankful for this country. And all the rest of the world wishes they could get here, but America is spiraling in a mess. The answer is Christ and churches and Christians that are gonna continue and preach the word. We don't need less of this, we need more of this. God is looking for the church to stay faithful and to not quit. Everybody doing okay? All right, okay, James McHenry this is the only night that we're going to be going through these uh, through slides, and so we'll go ahead and do as much as we can here tonight, and seek to be hasty with this. James McHenry. Does that sound familiar? His name, uh, Fort McHenry, uh, built in his honor. He was a signer of the Constitution and served as Secretary of War. He said, "This public utility pleads most forcefully for the general distribution of the Holy Scriptures, the doctrine they preach." The punishment they threaten, the rewards they promise, the stamp and image of divinity they bear, produces a conviction of truth and can alone secure to society order and peace. And to our courts of justice and constitutions of government, purity, stability, and usefulness. How in the world are we going to be able to function as a culture? We need the Bible. How in the world is this nation going to have the Bible if we're not preaching it? and if we're not continuing steadfast in it. He continued, In vain, without the Bible, we increase penal laws and draw entrenchments around our institutions. Bibles are strong entrenchments. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy quiet conscience. The the answer, he said, it's idiotic. It's not to increase laws. It's to increase the Bible. Because the Bible is a strong and natural entrenchment. Joseph Story, he was a Supreme Court justice in the early 1800s. He said this in one of his writings uh, concerning a case. He said, one of the beautiful boasts of our municipal jurisprudence, or fancy word, which means our philosophy of law and our legal system, one of the beautiful boasts of this is that Christianity is a part of the common law. There never has been a period in which the common law did not recognize Christianity as lying at its foundations. I'm sitting here as a Supreme Court uh, Justice, and and I'm not going to laugh at the Scripture. I'm not going to turn my back on the Word of God and Christianity, living out our faith. That's what Christianity is. Someone who is a Bible-believing individual, an individual who is going to pursue what God would have them to do according to His Word. Amen. He said there's been no time in which we've not recognized Christianity as a part of our foundations. President Woodrow Wilson, mixed feelings about him, but at least he made this statement. America was born a Christian nation, contrary to what Obama said several years back. Remember that, when he made that statement back over in Europe, how America was not a Christian nation? America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify or to be a testimony of that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Scriptures. He believed that we were established as a country to live out Bible truth, that we were an example to the rest of the world. Noah Webster, he wrote the American Dictionary in 1828, also wrote the Blueback Speller that we'll read from shortly. He made this statement. And by the way, a leader of education, uh, tens of millions of children learning uh, education and things from his books. He said this, I love this, a born-again Christian, he said, our liberty, growth, and prosperity, I like all three of those. I like liberty, I like growth, and I like prosperity. All of these things are God-given rights and principles, biblical principles, liberty, the devil is all about bondage. The devil is all about death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Prosperity. The devil does not want you to prosper in God's will. He wants to steal from you. John 10, 10, he is a thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? So everything that is contrary to this is not of God, it's of Antichrist or of Satan. He says our liberty, growth, and prosperity was the result of a biblical philosophy of life. It was not just talking about Scripture, it was living it. Our continued freedom and success is dependent on our educating the youth of America in what? The principles of what? The government? Christianity. That's why we need to run the buses. That's why we need to have a workforce for the junior church and the children's ministries and the vacation Bible schools. They are literally being brainwashed in the cesspool of public education. Now, are you kidding me? Besides just agnosticism and and atheism and evolution and all these things of socialism, now there's the gender blending. Are you kidding me right now? The only way America will continue is teaching our kids truth. Now is not the time, and we're all on the same page, now is not the time for us to quit be careless, complacent, but to continue till our final breath. Stay after it, amen. I, I love some of these books here, and we're trying to be as streamlined as possible. Is everybody okay tonight? Is everybody okay? Would you say amen? Fantastic. And things. And I've got. By the way, I love this one right here. I've got a um, a Bible that was printed by the American Sunday School Union. This was published in eighteen twenty six. This Bible is almost two hundred years old, and this Bible was published during the tenure of when Francis Scott Key, that name sounds familiar, does it not? Right in the Star-Spangled Banner? When Francis Scott Key, the one who authored the national anthem, was president of that American Sunday School Union. It's fascinating as you study American history, and it's not a well-known fact, um, and I don't have the notes in front of me to give you the specific statistics. I do have them, but um, it's fascinating that through the American Sunday School Union and the work of Francis Scott Key and others, they started... Tens of thousands of Baptist and Methodist churches all throughout the frontier and the Midwest. Literally commencing one of the largest church planting movements of American history. Philosophers and historians, they look back and they, I say this carefully, I'll be sarcastic, they blame the conservative bent of the Midwest upon this church planting movement that Francis Scott Key spearheaded. Thank God for men who preached the Bible and that built houses of God where it could be preached. We have here uh, something wonderful. We've got a uh, New England Primer uh, here. Uh, It's so wonderful. This is from 1844, this book right here. However, this New England Primer was from 1844 is a reprint of the 1776 New England Primer that was being used all throughout the Northeast and even throughout the colonies and such during the establishment of our nation. This is wonderful. I'd love to buy a 1776 New England Primer, but I can't bring myself to spend a couple thousand dollars on an old book. All right? So we'll settle for this one here that we could get for a few hundred dollars. All right? Uh, But I love this one here. Um, You can see, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen that up close, but you can see little illustrations and engravings there. All right? Um, And each letter of the alphabet that the kids learned in school had a scriptural principle earmarked with it. A, Adam, Adam was the word, not apple. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. B stood not for bell, but Bible. Heaven to find the Bible mind. Seek was not cat, but it was Christ. Christ crucified for sinners died. We can keep going on and on and on. D was deluge. We taught them a global flood. Amen. And it goes on and on and on of various biblical principles that children learn as they quoted their alphabet. They quoted these things, and this is how they grew up all throughout the colonies. No wonder they were bound by the laws of God because it was ingrained in their minds and their hearts when they were but children, Even the horn book, before kids went to class or school, one-room schoolhouse, they had that uh, piece of wood that had engravings on it, usually some uh, animal enamel or something like that, some sort of veneer or varnish that was put on it uh, to preserve the the covering. We all know that kids need to have some sort of protection on their stuff because they destroy things, right? Uh, But anyway, uh, they had the alphabet, A through Z, uppercase, lowercase, and also the Lord's Prayer. Many times, one-room schoolhouses would not let you as a child come into the classroom or be a part of the education if you do not have your alphabet at least memorized in which you knew what the letters were and if you didn't have the Lord's Prayer memorized. I love this here in the older grades, like David's age and maybe Jonathan's age, and the teenagers, here's an alphabet of lessons for youth. And the kids would stand in class and say these things in unison. And as the older ones are saying them, the younger ones are hearing them as they're doing their homework or their seat work. Here we go. A, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. B, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. C, come into Christ, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. D, do no abominable thing, which I hate, saith the Lord. It goes on and on and on. T, trust in God at all times, ye people. Pour out your hearts before him. You, upon the wicked, God shall reign in horrible tempest. Amen. Amen. This is how we were founded as a nation. We're not crazy as Bible-believing Christians. And even though at times we feel like we're in a minority, as we go forward bearing the principles of God and went with the power of God, God can use us to make a difference and to leave an indelible mark upon our generation, and even a ripple effect in the generations to come. We have here as well a blueback speller. Got to be careful while I leave those books; they might get snatched, or they might disappear. <laughs> Why did I look at your pastor? (laughs) This was printed in 1823, so this book right here is 200 years old that I hold in my hands. The American Spelling Book. All throughout this, we find several things in which children learn the alphabet and the English language. Here's table 13. I normally open to this one here. It's easy to find. There's a lot of earmarked pages and such, but this one here, lesson one. No man may put off the law of God. My joy is in his law all the day. Oh, may I not go in the way of sin. Let me not go in the way of ill men. How about this one here? Rest in the Lord and mind his word. My son, hold fast the law that is good. You must not tell a lie nor do hurt. We must let no man hurt us. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Even throughout this book, you'll find, I'm going to see if I can find it super fast. I know the hour is getting late. Um, but uh, let's see here. Oh, I like this one here. Here we go, page 103. The history of the creation of the world. In six days, God made the world and all that is in it. He made the sun to shine by day and the moon to give light by night. He made the beasts that walk on the earth, all the birds that fly in the air and all the fish that swim in the, swim in the sea, etc., etc., etc. It goes on, and then it says this. But as yet there was not a man to till the ground, God made man of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life and gave him rule over all that he had made. It even talks about how that he made the woman and he was, she was made to be his wife. And what do we find but the creation account, evolution, was believed by some. It did exist before Charles Darwin, but Charles Darwin was the one who made it popular and things. And of course, that doctrine of Antichrist, anything that is not truth is heresy. Anything that is not of God is from Satan, the spirit of Antichrist. We see this inundation in our culture today, in the minds of our young people, even science, falsely so-called, as the Bible labels it. Believes that we have come from some soup in the ground and that humanity has descended through uh, the evolution of apes and monkeys and all this kind of nonsense. That's not what we believed and what we taught our children by the millions. Air from the founding of our country through many, many generations after that. We're going the wrong direction. And instead of saying, "Well, I don't know," it's just, I just, you know, just wait for the trumpet to sound. No, now more than ever, God wants us to continue, not quit, not give in, not give out, not give up, but to give it all we've got to go down swinging. And God said, "If I found but just one man in the days day, of Ezekiel who was making of the hedge, standing in the gap before me for the land, the land could care less." But he still found faithful continuing in what I have to do in my word, doing my will, doing my work, I would have spared it. But I found none. That was the testimony of that generation. May that not be the testimony of our generation. Give you this thought. Ezekiel 22:30. A man who was making up the hedge. He realized that the walls of Jerusalem and all the prestigious and the big things. Uh, that surrounded them were being destroyed and wrecked and ruined. And as the Bible teaches us in Nehemiah, there were heaps of rubbish. The gates were burned with fire. God said, I was not looking for a man who was rebuilding and making up the wall, but I was looking for someone who was making up the hedge. You know what the hedge is? The hedge is just the fence in the backyard. It's not something that's on, of national epic proportions rebuilding the wall, here we go, come on, How things are collapsing, we're going to on huh? No, but just someone who was staying faithful where God had placed them. The fence was broken down. The enemy has swept through. Well, God has placed me here for such a time as this. And by God's grace, as long as I'm here, that fence is not gonna come toppling down. That fence is gonna stay strong and we're gonna reinforce that fence. We're gonna keep that fence built, not on my watch, over my dead body. And he is going out there in that backyard and he's not rebuilding the wall on a national scale, but he's rebuilding the fence on a local level. You see the significance of this? well, I don't know how God can use me. I'm not making a difference on some national scale. God's not looking for that. God's looking for a man, a woman, a young person who's saying, you know what? I'm gonna stay faithful in the place where God has put me. And the fence that may be in my backyard, I will be responsible for it. And if it's toppled over or broken down, we will make up the hedge. And God said, if I found a man that was just making up the hedge or the insignificant fence from a human's perspective, what is that going to do? Rebuilding a fence? Like, that's really going to make a difference. That's what the world says, and that's what they laugh and scoff at. But God sees it, and God says, that bears great significance to me. If I find someone just rebuilding the fence in the backyard, I will not destroy the land, thank God. He takes note even of what we would consider the little thing.